Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. I'm your host, James Woodham. And I'm your co-host, Juliet. Juliet has a decade of architectural experience in the US. And James has completed over 250 home renovations in the UK. Together, James and I have over 35 years experience designing and building homes. This podcast was created to give you, the homeowner, the power and the knowledge to get your project done right, on time, and with quality workmanship. We've been going for just over a year now, and we have over 50 episodes for you to listen and absorb all the information from key experts in the industry. That's right. We've spoken to industry leaders, builders, architects, and the best part of what we do is hear from you, the homeowner, what went right and what went wrong. We really hope you like listening to this podcast. And if you do, please leave us a review. Reviews expose us to more listeners, which in turn means we can help more homeowners save money and avoid the chance of things going wrong. With that said, let's get into today's show. Hey guys, this is Juliet, your co-host for the Property Renovation Podcast. This week, I sat down to talk with Dominic Rubino from the Cabinet Maker Profit System Podcast. He is a business coach who works with contractors and tradesmen, and specifically, as you might be able to tell from the name of his podcast, he works with cabinet makers and architectural mill workers. So even though he's not a general contractor himself, as a business coach, Dominic's pretty much heard it all, and he's heard it directly from the source all the concerns and uh, different pain points that general contractors have about running their business. So he sees things from their perspective. He sees how contractors judge the fit between themselves and a potential client, how they as contractors would like to run a job, and what they expect from clients in order to have a successful project. So I really enjoy talking with Dominic, and I love to super straightforward insights about what is actually going on in the mind of a GC during a renovation project. We really hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you do, please visit us and join our Facebook group. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Property Renovation Podcast. You can also listen to us at iTunes. And if you do like our work and you like this material, please leave us a review. It really helps out other people to find our podcast and hopefully we can provide some value and great advice to them as well. All right, with that said, here's today's episode. Hey, Dominic, thank you so much for coming to our show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Juliet. So um, we are super excited to have you on our podcast. But to our listeners who don't know who you are and what you do, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, what you do, and why specifically are you here for this episode of Inside the GC's Mind, Inside the General Contractor's Mind? Yeah, well, because I live in the GC's Mind, I think that's why I'm here. Uh, so great, great opening question. My name is Dominic Rubino. I'm a professional business coach, and uh, some of your listeners might know me from another podcast called the Cabinet Maker Profit System Podcast. And although I deal with lots of cabinet makers, I deal with lots of tradespeople in general. And uh, when you and I ran across each other, it's because I thought, hey, your, your show could use that perspective for your listeners to understand what's going on with the general contractors or the contractors that they're listening to. And how can understanding that help you to do your job better? Your job being whatever you're trying to fix in your house or your, uh, or your, your piece of property. Yeah. So in your um, particular... Why don't you give us a little bit more detail of um, your clientele and who they are, what kind of work they do, et cetera? Sure. So I'm a, I'm a, a, I've been a business coach since the turn of the century, which I know that sounds funny. <laughs> I've been a coach since the year 2000, which is the turn of the century. And uh, during that time, I've always specialized in working with tradespeople. I love, I love trades. And because uh, tradespeople are such straight shooters. So the People that I work with in the industry, they tend to be, as you would expect, the kind of business owners in general who are looking for getting better, making their systems better, being more operationally efficient, uh, being aware of profits, having some time off as a human, right? Because they're, they're usually so deadline-driven that they're willing to roll right over their own personal holidays to get your bathroom done. Uh, so I, yeah, it is true, isn't it? But they're passionate at the same time. So uh, I work with those kinds of business owners and I show them how to make more um, uh, more beautiful products. I'm not a product specialist or a lean manufacturing specialist, but people talk to me about time, team, money, and the growth of their business. Yeah. And of course, all of those things 
I mean, even though at first glance, they're not directly whatever X thing they're, you're installing in the home. But if you have a good business, you know, a tight ship that's running, everything about the final product, the final service that the client gets will be better. Absolutely. That, and that's the thing. I mean, do you want the contractor who's a chicken with their head cut off? I mean, we, we use that saying, right? Or do you want somebody who follows the process and says, first we do this, then we'll do that. And that whole process is a professional process that they understand how to manage. I mean, the reason that anybody would hire a GC is to avoid the landmines. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And so if, if you've got a GC that's bouncing off landmines, that's going to cost you time, cost you money. And given that a lot of us stay in our house during the renovation, it's, it's going to cost you hair. Like, <laughs> your marriage, right? These, yeah. are, these are important things. And yeah. so uh, a GC or any contractor who runs their business efficiently gives you a better experience and you get a better end result. Yeah. So why don't we talk just a bit more specifically about, um, you know, because we do have people who choose to run their own projects. They choose to become their own GC. And Mm -hmm. that's um, a fine choice. And we've actually had, you know, I've seen a lot of successful projects where people actually do that. But then, you know, then unfortunately you do see the projects that aren't so successful. So in terms of, like with the clients that you work with as a business coach working with the trades in your mind, what are the reasons to hire a GC and maybe when is it ever, maybe, (laughs) maybe it's never, but when would you ever recommend um, maybe saying, Hey, maybe you can go without a GC. Yeah, that's such an interesting question. I'm going to approach it from an angle that you might not expect. So I deal with, uh, business owners, tradespeople who run these companies that are typically award winners in their industry. So if they're architectural mill workers, they're different than cabinet makers. Architectural mill workers make custom, beautiful, they do the, you know, if they do a renovation in an apartment, it might be the penthouse and they're doing all of it. Or they're doing really custom wine rooms and things like that. So there's those kinds of people. And then there's cabinet makers who do kitchens and baths and closets. The, the ones that are at the top of their game, I, I don't know if your listeners know this, but the ones at the top of their game will not work with people who do not have an architect, a designer, or a GC, because the headache factor is too high and the quality standards that they've put out for their business has to meet that. And so to answer your question, this is where I'm going. If you don't use one of those professionals, like an architect, a designer, or a general contractor, you might be limiting your options because the best contractors might not want to work with you. Interesting. So why, um, why would they refuse to take on a job without at least one or two or maybe all of those design professionals involved? Why would they not want to take it? Exactly. Yeah. Why would they say, no, thanks. The headache factor. Okay. I mean, if we're here to talk honestly right now, and I've got no vested interest in who anybody's hiring out there, but it is a massive headache to work with a homeowner who changes their mind, can't make a decision, doesn't know what kind of door frames they want or tiling options, heated floor, subheated floor, do we do this, where do light switches go? Top professionals want to come in and do their job and do it really well and move on, but they don't want to get caught off in all sorts of other directions or Maybe I could have just summarized that by saying they don't want drama. And as I think as a homeowner or even as a property manager, because some of them might be listening here too and, you know, GCing their own jobs, that drama costs money and costs time. So in effect, you may be eliminating some of the best tradespeople from your, from your choices because you're not using a designer, a GC, an architect. And I understand that those things cost money, but they cost money because you get back time and um, certainty. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think um, it's always a very personal choice, as I like to say, because I know that not every single project certainly merits that level of professional project management. But if you do have a significant project, um, I would, I personally would recommend, and I'm saying this as an architect, if I ever had a major home renovation, there's no way I would do it without hiring a GC or a project manager because mostly because I still need to do my own job full time, which is strangely managing other people's projects. And so I don't, I simply don't have the time to do 
an entire other full-time job added to it. Because like you said, I like having hair. I like being married. <laughs> I like staying yeah. healthy and, you know, not a complete stress ball. So for all these, for all these reasons, um, yeah. is that, now, I think it's at least good to consider it. I'm sorry? It's at least good to consider what yeah. you may gain by hiring a GC project manager, owner, even an owner's rep. I mean, there's, there's many different sort of um, specific people you may hire, but all of them can take on sort of the role of project manager and help you through the million and a half decisions you will have to make. Yeah. Now, now there are some, some contractors, you know, I'm speaking specifically about the cabinet making industry um, and, and other trades like that that deal with homeowners. They might be so good at doing kitchens that they, they effectively become their own general contractor. So you right. have a cabinet making company, but they have the plumbers, they have the electricians, they have the tile setters, the drywallers, and all of the associated trades that go with that. And they're going to GC the thing themselves. But what I'm hoping your listeners are taking away is you're looking for somebody who says, we've got all that, here's how it works, and there's a process and a format to follow. Exactly. I kind of think about it as, and I, do, and I mean this... <laughs> I mean this in the best possible way, but most of the time clients, even repeat clients that I've had in my business, you know, they maybe do this two, three, unless I guess you're a very serious serial renovator. You generally only do like a major home renovation a few times in your life. And so if you, if you think about it, a major renovation will take maybe a year, maybe a little bit more. So to me, it's kind of like, oh, that client in this industry is like one years old. This client is like two years old. So it's, and you think about young children and young children kind of need and thrive on structure. And so like you're saying, a good GC who comes in, provides all the systems, the deadlines, the ways of project managing it sort of comes in and then just gives you all that structure to basically protect you, your time, your money, your budget, your stress, your hair, (laughs) like all of this. Yeah. And, and you know, the takeaway message, because some of your listeners will be contractors. I hope that they're understanding inside, you know, even though we're talking about inside their minds, what the customer is looking for is certainty. They want a guaranteed product or process. And the more that we have systems and processes in place, which really aren't difficult to do, it's just there are some systems that are more important than others and some that have to come first and some that have to come last, right? You can't grow up your tiles until you've fixed the waterboard in the back of the shower. It, that's just the process. And it's the same with making systems. In your business. So true. So let's quickly kind of go through. Um, I'm thinking it'd be really good for our listeners if we run through sort of four major points of construction and then kind of what may be running through the GC's mind and all of those. So we'll go through sure. maybe things that um, a GC may be thinking of during the design phase, the bidding phase, like the construction kickoff phase, and then sort of in the middle of construction and even towards the end of wrapping things up and punch list time. So um, yeah, so when a GC is first brought in, and sometimes they are brought in when the design is still being developed, what typically is going through the mind of a GC? Okay, so I, I wrote down five things that in my work with general contractors and contractors... Uh, of all sorts, the things that are going through their mind. So I'll go through them in point order first, and then I'll backfill them with you. So the first one is fit, right? The fit between me and you. Next is budget. Then we have calendar. Believe it or not, profit. Of course, it's a business. Did I say that? Right? And then landmines. Mm. So uh, those are the those are the points that I, that I think are the highest priority for an ethical contractor. Now, I do want to point out that I only do, I, in my work, you know, I, I run a podcast just like you do, and I do a lot of speaking in the industry. So I meet people who are winning awards in the industry or who are leaders and thought leaders in their industry. And the reason they even work with me is because they want to, they already know they're at this level and they want to get to the next level. So I'm not talking about the sort of fly by night, almost made for TV disaster contract. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? We're talking about, I'm talking about contractors that are really good at what they do and want to get better. So I'm, I'm hoping that your listeners also understand that there's a lot of people out there who perhaps might take advantage of them. And, and I think that's a fear that some people have. So I want to point out that the points I'm listing here are from an ethical contractor who wants to do great work, not take your deposit and run. And 
you know, the way to look for that is to look for referrals, go see their house reviews, go see their shop, you know, by the way, if you can go see their shop first, change your expectations of what clean is, right? Because if you go to a shop that cuts marble for countertops, there's going to be dust. Yeah. You should still see a sense of order, right? So right. Anyway, let me go back to these points. I just, okay. I, didn't, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but we are talking about ethical contractors who are concerned about doing great work and being proud of what they do. That's right. The so fit. Um, Fit between me and you is very important, uh, or the contractor and the person getting the work is important because we're going to be working together in a very intensive, condensed time frame with lots of emotion and lots of moving pieces. Those pieces being lumber, <laughs> tools, people, lunch times. We have to use your bathroom while we're on site. Like all of those things, there has to be a fit. And so, if you're awkward to deal with, or they're awkward to deal with, that's something that a good contractor should be considering. That's the first one. All good points. Yes. No. Um, budgets. If you're out now, I'm talking from the point of view of my contractors, not. Uh, is, that's exactly it. I, we're we're ta- we, yeah. clients, hopefully, you know, generally know their own mind. So we're trying yeah. to get to understand the mind that's sitting across the table from them. So I'm going to use our words, contractors words, budget. Are you out to lunch? You know, if you, <laughs> Because, well, it happens, right? Uh, my friend said she got her kitchen redone for $7,000. Okay, well, uh, right. that's we not us. That with blank stares. Pardon me? Be prepared to meet, to, like, to say something like that and just get a blank stare back. Yeah, yeah. So there needs to be an expectation that a certain level of contractor does a certain level of work. So you can't, it'd be difficult to compare a, 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 a custom contractor to somebody who's pulling cabinets out of, Home Depot or Ikea. That's a different thing. Now you're talking about a handyman who's buying stuff and, and reinstalling it at your house. That's a different animal. So budget's a very important consideration. And they're listing for cues from you that you understand that this job's going to be within the scope of X and that you have a budget. If you don't have a budget, be prepared to do your homework and find out the range, what a great contractor is and what a handyman who's going to be getting product from Home Depot is going to cost. But there will be a range. Absolutely. The other one is calendar. And this one is, should, you should expect. I do not want to deal with a GC who's ready to go tomorrow. So true. Yeah. I, I kind of want to hear that they have a calendar problem and they can't fit me in for a little while. That makes me feel good. So when I'm a, when I'm a general contractor, calendar management and people management becomes a real thing. And asking to look at their calendar or understand their production schedule is, is actually a really good point for a homeowner or, or anybody doing renovations. Uh, profit is another one where, you know, we are in business to make money, but we're also in business to develop, to build something that all of us can be proud of because the headaches that come from fighting with people is just not worth it. It's far better to build something you're proud of. And when you're done, look at it and the homeowner goes, wow, all that for X money. Yeah. This is value. That's such an easier business to run, right? Yeah. So I need you. You want your contractor to make a profit, or if if you hammer them on price too much, then you are just telling them, "Don't finish this job." I want you to cut corners. I want you to try and put it over on me. I want you to reuse old product. I, you know, you're motivating them the wrong direction. Yeah. You gotta let them make money. It's. It's true. It's. It's just true. It's just true. I mean, because we're not, I mean, you don't, you don't see construction companies out there <clears throat> decrying their not-for-profit status. It doesn't exist. Yes. Yeah. I didn't expect the hospital to make money off of me these days. I mean, just because, I mean, it's true. They're a corporation. They're a yeah. not-for-profit corporation, but they have to stay in business and you just expect that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it just is the, the nature of the beast. But the same thing, you know, people might be listening to this podcast while they're driving to work today. What if you walked in and your boss said, hey, I know we normally pay you, just use a number, 25 bucks an hour. Today, we're only going to pay you 23. How would you feel at work? It'd be less of a good day. <laughs> it would be less of a good day. And you start thinking, why am I doing extra? Why am I working so hard? Who cares? Well, profit is important to the contractor as well because they need to run their business. They need to pay their people. They need to run a, uh, 
you know, you think about it, if they want to run a business and add systems and processes that make it better for you, they've got to invest in their company as well. The only way to do that is through profit. So it, it's just the way of the world. They, they need to make money. So let's, I think we all understand profit. The other one here is landmines. And this is important. So what's going through the mind of a general contractor or a contractor? If they're sitting in front of a, a couple and they're already fighting and this contract hasn't been signed, mm. fighting about what direction the sidewalk's going to go and how high the patio needs to be. And that is a big headache for a serious contractor. And you're causing flags to go up in their mind. They're just like dating flags, right? Yeah. Those are red flags. And you're, you're showing them landmines. Oh, you have a point there. I can see. But when I said dating, you jumped forward. I did? Yeah. You're like, oh. Oh. And I think because, um, surprisingly enough, it was early in my career working as an architect that um, I'd met a client on site at their home. And she was like, we were just sort of talking afterwards, exchanging pleasantries, et cetera. And then she's like, yep, this is the good part. This is the honeymoon phase. She's like, it'll get worse later. She's like, but then we'll, we'll kiss and make up at the end. It'll be fine. <laughs> And so she sort of, she had renovated um, our home before. And so she actually knew the whole arc of being like, oh, we're really excited about this project. It's going to be great. You know, but that's before, you know, the, the demo crew comes in and things start getting ripped apart and the stress builds. And so she, I mean, it's like any, um, it's like any good movie. There's, there's an arc, tension builds, and then there's a resolution, hopefully, which is in the end, a great project. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so true. And the, the harder you make it for the contractor, those are landmines they have to think about. You know, and a good contractor, especially in a home renovation while the people are living in the home, should bring it up with you and say, look, you've got a cat that never goes outside. I want to promise that the doors are going to be closed, but we are removing your windows. There's a good chance Misty's going to get out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, so you've got to... Those landmines exist on both sides, and you want to have good and open conversations about those things with your contractor. Yeah, those are all. Those are all really. That's a great guideline for everyone listening. So, um, what about when things start to get really real? So, what's going on for the GC when we hit the bidding phase? Mm. Well, when you hit the bidding phase, that's when you've really got the GC or any contractor's attention because now they're bidding to win. Right. So this is the time when, not, not that you should hammer them on price because I, really there, need, there needs to be fair and you should feel like it's a fair price um, uh, for the work being done. But now they're in it to win it. So they're bidding to win. So this is not the time they're going to start throwing in stuff to, to lose the deal. They're actually trying to win the deal because they like you. They believe in the project. They have the people to do it. The calendar fits or they have you know the opening within a reasonable time. Uh, it's a job within their scope, all of those things line up. And so they're now willing to bid. If you've got somebody who's not willing to bid, don't, I would not follow up and follow up and follow up and beg them to bid. You're just create, you're inviting a fox into the hen house. It's not going to go well. So, you know, one of the challenges that we have on the contractor side is it can be very easy to win jobs just by showing up. Mm -hmm. Is it your experience as well? But sometimes trades are unreliable and don't show up. Yeah, the whole thing of, oh, my painter was supposed to show up Tuesday. He didn't. And now he's here unexpectedly on a Wednesday. But, you know, I have meetings. I have to go to work, et cetera. That it's an unfortunate stereotype, I feel like. But it's oftentimes I hear from clients, true. Yeah, they bring it on themselves. It's, it's a horrendous way for them to run business. This goes back to your point, too, about why would you hire a designer or a general contractor? Because... I'm at work doing whatever it is I do. I can't leave work to go let the painter in or let the painter out or run to get him or her more product. Right. Sure. That needs to be managed by somebody else so I can live my life, do, do whatever I do in my business to make money mm -hmm. or, or work. Um, anyway, so they're, they're in it to win it at that point. And uh, I'm just looking at my note here. Yeah, they, they're, they also are looking at efficiency. So how can they do the job that you want done in the most efficient and effective way possible? So one of the things that I'd like to urge your, your listeners to think about is how do you make sure that general contractor stays on the job once they've started the job? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's true. It's, it's, not, it's not something you want to bring up, but it, ha- it does happen. It happens, right? Because they, they now are going out and bidding the next job. Your job is starting to wind down. They need mm-hmm. to keep their crews busy, so they're going to go look for other work. And the focus stops being on you. And so during this bidding phase, what I, what I really suggest your listeners do is set up a communication schedule. Wow. I could not sound like a business coach more in that sentence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you just want to set up a regular meeting schedule with the general contractor. So, Julian, if it was you, you're the architect, and I was the homeowner, I would say, you know, what, on what basis are we going to talk every day every, or every week? At what time? And then I have to hold to that expectation. If it's Tuesdays at 2 o'clock, until the job is done, we are meeting Tuesday at 2 o'clock to talk about the job progress. And I want to make sure that expectation is set during the bidding phase because that's when you're going to get a lot of yeses and a lot of agreement. Right. Right? So you're managing the contractor or managing the relationship. Right. And you're setting... You're setting yourself up for success as well to set yeah. some kinds of communication and systems in place so that everyone understands what needs to happen when. Yeah. And how. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about, okay, so say we've gone through the bidding phase and then actually one thing um, that I think would be good to talk about. So if we say I'm the client and say I have, a kitchen remodel, and then I go and get three bids. And then I look at the numbers and then say one is a little bit lower than this other guy, but this other guy did my friend's kitchen and I love their work. Is it kosher to go back with, to go back to the one with the slightly higher bid, but who I like because of referrals and say, Hey, this guy over here or girl, this person over here has a slightly lower bid. And asked, is it kosher to sort of negotiate between the two like that? Or is that generally something that would be very frustrating for the GC? Or is that sort of industry standard? Yeah, that's total reality. That's 100% of their day. Uh, They always get that conversation happening. Now, that's also their time to say, well, here's the difference between us and them. You'll Mm -hmm. notice that they're not going to remove construction waste where we are. And that, that, for instance, that would be one that would be very important, right? But you can also have a conversation with the, the contractor and say, I'm, I'm a little concerned over budget. We're over by a couple of grand. I do have a lower bid. How can we lower it? So find a way to work with that contractor. Maybe you've got a, a, a trailer or a pickup truck and you can remove construction waste. And right. so he or she doesn't have to do it. So you can save some costs that way. Uh, when I was a painting contractor, because I, I, I used to be a residential painting contractor and people had budget problems, I would say, well, if, if you want to make this a cheaper job, here's what I need you to do. You need to tie back all the bushes and power wash the house and then tape off the windows. And they would go, yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you go right ahead and do the job. Right. Because they, don't, they can't do that. They, but that's what I have to do to do your house properly. Yeah. Right? And so to your point, there are, there's going to be a range of prices. Just have a conversation about why, but don't approach it as if this higher bid is trying to rob you. They're not. Better quality, you know, wood, better quality product, better trained uh, staff cost more money, but they take less time. If you're planning a renovation or you're moving into your first new home, then the Akiva Toolkit could be the solution you need. With its easy-to-use package of 10 documents, you are able to manage time, budget, and the communication between your builders and you to ensure the project is complete to satisfaction first time round. The Akiva Toolkit saves you money and time. It's for the first-time renovator and the renovator that wants to do things better the second time round. It's a fraction of the cost compared to paying for mistakes or repeating work that's already done. Go to akivatoolkit.com and get your project off to a perfect start today. So what about um, sort of during the midst of construction? So say um, say this is a well-run project, as we want all projects to be. Say we have weekly progress meetings. We have an established um, way of communication between all parties. We have a central place where documents are stored. We have um, a point person on both teams, we have a point person on the client side 
We have a point person on the contractor side and we have a point person <clears throat> on the designer side if there is one involved. So say all those things are in place. What, um, what are typically the things that contractors are thinking about sort of day-to-day or weekly, monthly as the project um, progresses? Uh, brutal efficiency. Okay, brutal efficiency. I mean, a good contractor is looking for efficiency of time and motion. Like getting product on site, getting it brought into the project, getting it installed properly, uh, having permits done, approved, passed, um, change orders. So if you as a homeowner are saying, you know what, I know we wanted the sink over there, but I think I want it over here now, that's a big deal. Yeah. And you should expect that you're going to pay for that change. And all of the changes that have to be done to make that change happen. So brutal efficiency is what the um, general contractor or contractor is looking for because profit is still their motive. If they're in business, right. Right? They're, not, they're not in business as a hobby to help you build your kitchen or your yard or whatever it is. They're, they're here to make money. And so understand that. At the same time, um, you have to be realistic knowing that they have to do their work. So... Halfway through the job, changing it and saying, you know what, my kids aren't getting good sleep, so can you come after nine and leave before three? You've now changed the the ability for them to do their work effectively. That's not going to go over well. You know, those need to be expectations set up front. Right. So I think it's interesting that you mentioned change orders because that's always a point of contention. I mean, just the other week, my partner and I, we had to sit down and write. We took over four hours to write an email to the client, to contractor about a particular change order. And it was a very long process of documenting what was done when, who was included in what communication. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, it, we weren't trying to put the blame on anyone, because, but we were just trying to set the timeline of what happened when and maybe why it happened. Right. So change orders are contentious. Yeah. So what are there, are there certain small things that clients can generally ask for without getting a change or without expecting a change order? You know, this is where contractors actually get miffed. Like they, they get upset when you've got high paid tradespeople on the job and then you bring, you walk out and say, Hey, can you guys just help me unload the truck? I just bought some furniture. And then you say to the tradespeople, what do you think? Do you like it? How would it look here? And now you've got highly paid electricians, plumbers, cabinet makers, and you're just chatting with them. The GC still has to pay them for that time. And you're asking, you're being social, which is great, but bring them a sandwich and let them do their work. Because, you know, so there's some things, I would say you can do a few little things, but you can't keep doing things. Okay. And then when a change order hits, uh, it has to be clearly communicated, which it sounds like, Juliet, you were doing a good job of saying, this happened and this happened. So if you ask for a change, you should expect some paperwork on the part of the general contractor to say, mm-hmm. you asked to move the sink. We can't do that until you sign this piece of paper. That piece of paper says that moving a sink is now going to cost $7,000 for the new plumbing, electrical, spacing requirements, and the uh, you know bylaw officer has to now come in and... and Right. Everything, right? Yeah. It sounds easy, though. Just Let's just move the sink, honey. Oh, sure. No, it's not easy. It's, that's the job. Yeah, that's a, very, that's a great way of putting it. It's, I think that's also the hard thing because during construction, especially when it's just, um, you're just starting to move from rough framing and then you know, some of the rough utilities are being put in and then... Maybe it's before rough rough inspection. Maybe it's after. Then you're then when things start to get put in right after that, and things in the client's mind still look very raw and unformed, right. and everything is set. You know, all the stage is essentially set because the utilities are hard in things, especially in the general contractor's mind. They aren't really moving, and yeah. then you're like, well, let's just you know scooch it <laughs> over. And like you said, it it's all that is the job. It's anything's possible, and it seems like a, not a lot, but yeah, it's. I find that very. I find it always difficult because, in my mind, it's always the client's home. I want them to get what they want, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, you. I always hate to start discouraging them, 
But at a certain point, reality sits in and being like, look, you have a schedule. You said you wanted to be in by X day. In order for that to happen, we can't, we can't bring back this trade and then that trade. And Well, we can. We can, but, but you will you'll pay in time and money. And then yeah. no one wants to hear that. And <laughs> yeah. So there is a tool that can be used. And you know, this is one that's important to me because I cannot see, and you're going to laugh at this because you're an architect. I can't see two-dimensional plans in three-dimensional world. Like I can't look at flat blueprints and imagine walking through. And so more and more, something called 3D rendering is used, mm-hmm. yeah. which is to walk me through what it's going to look like. And, um, and you can, by the way, if your contractor doesn't have that, but you have plans, you can get 3D rendering contractors off Upwork or any, there's, there's online services to do that. Uh, my wife is great at looking at things in 3D. I'm horrible at it. And if we're going to do a reno, I always say to her, I need to be able to walk through and understand, oh, the, the, the cabinet's right there. Okay. So I can reach there. Yeah. You know, this will be here, but so there's tools to get around that. It doesn't solve everything, but ask for it. And if, if your contractor doesn't have it, find a way so that you can make the decisions to make that job go as easily as possible. Yeah. There, um, like you said, you can find... Because those those sites such as Upwork, Fiverr, Freelance, I'm not sure what the names of all of them are, but those sites are international. And so it's not just US, Australian, or, you know, very expensive countries like Sweden. It's not, you know, it's not just people, you know, um, work who list their services there, you know, it's from everywhere. And so just the way the world economy works, it's actually, it's really quite affordable to buy a service from say Southeast Asia. And they're doing, they're using the same computer program that we'd use here. Yes. Because those companies are global. Everyone will use Autodesk. (laughs) Everyone will use SketchUp. (laughs) Yeah, or any of those tools. So that's a way to get around this. But the homeowner has to be aware that that could be a problem. And again, remember we talked about landmines before. A good contractor is going to be watching for those landmines. And the good contractors, I'll repeat what I said earlier, who run across this many, many times, will move their business to a point where they say, I can't do a home reno. I can't do a kitchen unless there's a designer or an architect involved. Because we're not set up for that. We are trades guys. We build beautiful furniture. We build beautiful windows. We build beautiful cabinetry. We do countertops. We're not designers. Designers give us the plans. We make them. And so you're you're actually asking. You're trying to milk a chicken. You're like you still have a problem. <laughs> you still got an animal, but it's that's not the purpose of the chicken. The chicken lays eggs. It doesn't give you milk. So you're asking the wrong expectation out of a out of a very skilled person. Right. I think that's a great. That's a great, great point. So what about, um, what about when construction is sort of wrapping up and we are headed towards the punch list stage? What, what are things going through the GC, GC's mind then? Do your, do your listeners know what a punch list is? Let's talk about a punch list. Dominic, would yeah. you like to tell us what a punch list is? Well, you know what? The other thing is, do they know what a change order is? I just, it just occurred to me when you said punch list. And change order, do people know what those are? Because if they're not in this industry, those might be foreign. Right. We have, um, we have mentioned, I know I've mentioned change order before on the podcast, but you're right. Um, I have been, I've been a bad host. <laughs> I haven't explained no, no, that. not at all. I just, I don't. to me. So change order is when, um, it is very much like its name implies. It's when you have something on drawings and those drawings were bid on. And so those drawings actually technically become a part of the written contract that you sign. And so that's why we'll call them construction documents. But in reality, like in official AIA, American Institute of Architects, in like in official AIA language, they are contract documents. So they are contractual. So when a contractor signs and then, you know, everyone signs off on a bid, a proposal, they are signing to an agreement to build what is on those plans. And those plans include the drawings, the notes, the specifications, and the specifications control the quality. Generally, you they will oftentimes say the method of, not the means and methods of construction, which is specifically how, how exactly a floor or wall gets built, but final um, sort of quality control 
Mm. And so anyway, so those, so the specifications, the notes, annotations, the actual um, like drawing, those are all part of the contract documents. And so when you change your mind, and so the sink goes from, say, the island back to the counter against the wall, that's a change. Right. And so the change order is to account for the work that has to happen for basically for everyone, for the architect to change all the drawings, for the contractor to go back in and set things up to account for that change, the change yeah. in the schedule, et cetera. So that, those small, cha- I mean, sometimes they're not small change orders, but so those are the things that change orders and that bill cover. Dominic, anything to add? Oh my God, that was the most thorough change order <laughs> ever. I might take that piece out of this interview and reuse it later. So now you're going to ask me about punch lists. I guess tit for tat, I'm going to have to answer that. Yeah. How about you take punch lists? <laughs> <laughs> so the way I do a punch list in very, in very short terms is we've got a list of expectations that are on the job for building uh, whatever the job is. So if we use cabinets as an example, but it would be the same for HVAC or painting. is these are the items required. And you're just, it's the punches. Do this. Do this, do this, do this, do that in a very listed format. So when we, when we want to talk about the punch list, that's that's how I view the punch list. Um, and those are important. When you get to that point, which is your, your opening question here, is what's the contractor concerned with? You know what they're concerned with at this point? Being done. Yeah. The last 10% of a job is the biggest headache for everybody. So true. Yeah. When you're dealing with a good contractor, they want to be done to the point where they can be paid the bulk of that money. Holdbacks exist in some places and not in others, but if there's a holdback, which is a percentage of the total contract amount that's held back to make sure there are no deficiencies, the contractor needs to get that because their profit is actually in that holdback stage. Profit is not thousands of dollars. If you're paid thousands of dollars for the job, the profit is hundreds of dollars. It's not what many people think. And so the, the profit is generally in that holdback stage. So the contractor wants to be done. They want to be offsite. They want this to go efficiently and effectively. And they really want you to be happy. They want you to say, wow, nicest kitchen, nicest landscaping, nicest siding we've ever had. Thank you. You guys have been great. Yeah. I mean, it really, it's sort of strange because the end product for construction is so tangible. But I think that construction is at the same time, such a service industry. Right. Because if, if you go through the experience of a renovation, even if the end result looks great, if you had an awful time during it... You remember that. You remember that. And I mean, I think everyone knows if it's not going... Everyone involved knows if it's not going well because no one's happy. And yeah. then you know that you're not going to get a referral. And... I feel like everyone in this, um, here's another acronym for you guys. Everyone in this AEC industry, which is architecture, engineering, and construction, everyone in this AEC industry is so highly, it's such a highly referral-based industry. Mm-hmm. And so we really want to get that referral. We want to provide good service. We want to provide a good experience. I mean, and I want a good experience just for myself because I don't want to hate my job. I want right. to enjoy it. So, yeah, it's... Uh... You, you want to have referrals and you want to have good feelings out there and you want testimonials. You want to be, you know, the great contractors want to be proud of what they do. And they do this because they love it. They like working with their hands. They like creating. They don't want a desk job where they're just moving paper. That's not why they got into this. They want to build you something and have you go, you guys did that. That was fantastic. Yeah. That's what they like. Yeah. I, I mean, I obviously I'm sort of in the same line of work, so I completely get just, being able to stand back at the end of the day, the end of a, at the end of two, three years sometime and just look at a project and be like, wow, I had a hand in that. I had a part in that. That's, it really is an incredible feeling. And especially because homes last for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm. So it's something that will really live potentially beyond you. You, yeah. Yeah. You know, your opening question is um, about why hire a general contractor or a contractor. Mm-hmm. It just actually made me remember something that's important, and it's something I call transition zones. Okay. So when you've got multiple contractors working on your house, 
they will be trying to, sometimes they'll be trying to limit their responsibilities. So the drywaller will blame the painter. The painter will blame the finisher. The finisher will say, well, I don't do caulking on moldings. That was the painter's job. And at the end of the job, when you sit back and look at it and you're like, oh, we never did get the caulking done on the moldings, you know, the trim around the upper part of the, the room or wherever it may be, you're going to look at that forever. <laughs> forever. And, and, you know, one of the things that I say to my listeners is we, we love, you know, the cabinet making and architecture millwork industry. It's uh, what we do is the last thing people see before they go to bed and the first thing they see when they wake up. And that's the kind of pride my listeners have in what they do. Like yeah. their role in your house, in your home. And so if you don't use somebody who's, who knows whose responsibility it is to do the caulking around the molding, you know, or the trim work, you're going to miss that and you're going to look at it forever. When your friends come over for Christmas, Thanksgiving, on your worst day when it's raining outside, you're going to look at that and go, <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And then it's, it's, it's all those tiny details that, as I said, a newbie, like a one-year-old. Yeah, you just don't know. Yeah, you, you just don't know because you don't, I mean, honestly, it's not your job to know who is responsible for sealing what, caulking what, providing one transition to the other. Like, like the transition from a carpeted floor to hardwood. Right. Threshold. Does the carpet guy provide the threshold? Does yeah. the flooring guy provide the threshold? Does the millwork guy? Exactly. And then at the end of the day, if that's not decided, if someone's going to decide that, or that, or by default, no one's going to decide it and it's not going to get done, which is awful. But it's, it's not really, it's not, your, it's not the client's job to know all those things until the client decides to take on the job as the general contractor slash owner builder of their own project. And once you do that, then you do take on the responsibility of coordinating all the trades and coordinate. It's it most importantly is coordinating the work between all the trades because, like in a much bigger, like the example that I have is in a much um, bigger commercial construction project. We were there's this. It's sort of a terrifying stage because we're approving these huge precast panels that essentially are the building. You know, because oh. the plumbing, the electric, everything is embedded in these precast concrete walls. And then right. they're trucked in on site. They're erected. And like, that's it. It's done. Like, literally, things are set in stone <laughs> because they're all inside. Concrete. concrete. Right. And then it's... But then it's all the things that join to that precast, like these plates that are welded in to provide the surface for other connections that come later. Because in all the, the drawings from the precast fabricator say, you know, this plate by others. Well... Who's, who's the buy others? Who's going to take care of that? Who's going to coordinate that? And What's so... What's the thickness, the gauge of the steel? Exactly. So those are... It's like, that's an example of like, those are the things that you really never think of because you think, ah, yeah, it'll just... It's, it's obvious. It needs to get done. It will get done. If it's not on the punch list, if it's not in the, the plans... And this is why having a professional... These are the landmines I was talking about. If you're not... If you don't know how the other trades work, you can't hold them accountable to the job. Your, your example of the threshold is, a, is an excellent example because I can't tell you that it's the flooring guy or the carpet guy or the millwork guy, because it's wood, who's responsible because I'm not doing that job. I would have to tell the flooring guy it's his or her responsibility and put it in their contract and then make sure they adhere to it. But if the, if the carpet guy comes in and does his job, I can't just assign it to him. He's going to say that's a change order. Right. Exactly. Those yeah. are the things because, um, I mean, cause the general contractor coordinates the subcontractors, which are the specific tradespeople. you know, specific trades people, meaning the plumbing guys, the plumbing crew is not your drywall crew. Your drywall crew is not your framing crew, et cetera. Right. So it's, it's, it's talking, it's receiving the bids from each one of those sub trades and looking very specifically about the services that they provide, and then knowing what is excluded. And knowing what is excluded is the hard part because it's not there. So you have to sort of know where the voids are, but you're not going to know where the voids are if you haven't done it before. Now, I would say, actually, it's a little different if you are going to complete gung-ho DIY it yourself, like you are physically the one doing it. Because 
that way, as you naturally work through things, you'll notice what needs to be done, those transition points. And you, as the DIYer, will simply take care of all of those transition points. So that may be different. So obviously, I think depending on how willing and how much you want to be hands-on, that's another thing worth considering. Yeah, transitions. Yeah. Well, Dominic, this has been so helpful and so informative. Do you have sort of any last um, tips of things that we should look for or things to think about as we go through these projects? You know, I think that, um, as you mentioned, that testimonials and referrals are an important part of your business. They're an important part of every business. They're certainly important for me. They're important for the church you go to, the store, the grocery store you go to, the contractors you work with. It's just important. And so looking for other people who've used that contractor is also a great, it's just a little piece of insurance in knowing that other people had a great experience there. So there's websites like house, H-O-U-Z-Z.com. And that's, I'm sure people don't know that one. Um, but you can see testimonials there that other people have said, you know, I work with this contractor and this is my experience. Uh, but go look at their site, go look at their shop, go look at an existing job. Uh, if they give you a list of uh, homes that they've done before, go knock on the door. Yeah. Ask how, ask how it was. And if they're a good contractor, the people will say, you know, it was good. It went a little bit long, but everything was great. Yeah. I can live with a little bit long. I want to know everything was great. Yeah, exactly. But if they point and go, you know, they still haven't finished that. I'm surprised they gave you our house as a... Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think what we talked about before with um, the unfortunate reality of sometimes people just not showing up. Actually, it was just this Thanksgiving. My brother was asking me, you know, he needs to replace um, an HVAC unit. You know, there's two zones. One zone is sort of down. (laughs) So he needs a new HVAC system. Right. And he asked me, he's like, well, which one should I go with? And then I asked him about the two different products, the warranties, et cetera. And then they were all so, the prices were the same. Everything was really equivalent until I asked him, I was like, well, who did you like more? He's like, oh, well, this guy, you know, he said he'd come at nine and then at like 8.59 in the morning, ding dong, and he was right there on the door. And then he was like, well, what about the other guy? And he turned to his wife and his wife was like, yeah, he was supposed to show up that day. And he like, didn't even come. And I'm like, I think that's your answer. That's your answer right there. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm not sure why you're talking to me. Like, it's very clear who you should hire. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if technically everything's equal, you go with the person that, that um, you know, past behavior is an indicator of future behavior. Absolutely. If they show up on time to the, the bid, if they show up on time for everything else, you know, if they show up on time all the time, I'm willing to give them one day, they're like, I got stuck in traffic. Yeah. Okay. But if they're always late, they're always going to be late. Yeah. If they're always misrepresenting, they're always going to misrepresent. Yeah. And just, I mean, in some sense, it's just, Use common sense because these are people who are going to be coming in and out of your home and then you just want to feel comfortable with them and trust them. Absolutely. Yeah. And you don't want your cat jumping out the window, even though you talked about the doors getting... Right. Let's, let's save Misty the cat while we're at it. Because Misty's (laughs) going to try and find a way to get outside. Exactly. All right, Dominic, thank you so much for this great, fun and informative conversation. Um, And we will, I'm sure we will be talking again soon. Yeah, thanks, Julia. Have a great day.